today we're kicking off our series called God at the Movies. And uh, every year we do a series where we take the blockbuster hits of the previous year and use them as a springboard to talk about a spiritual topic or a God story behind the scenes. And so we're doing that this year. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those deals where we're using what's contemporary in culture to talk about a timeless truth. We're, we're taking the message of the gospel and wrapping it around the idea that where people are living today, and it's nothing new. That's, that's not a new concept. Jesus did it when he did parables. When he did parables, he would talk about what was contemporary in the world that the people lived in to make a spiritual application or a connection to a truth that would be eternal, Okay. Paul, the apostle, did the same thing. He actually went into different cities and towns. One time he said, hey, I noticed that your poets have written this. So he took a contemporary writing of a poet and used it as a springboard to talk about how God is really the author and the source of everything. That's in Acts 17. And so this isn't new. And so that's what we're doing. And so as we use the movies, let me throw out the disclaimer. When we use the movies, we're not automatically saying we agree with or condone or, you know, celebrate every depiction and every statement and every concept that's in the movie. That's not what we're doing because that would be foolish. And so we realize that that's kind of out there to think that. And so we're not doing that. We're simply using the familiar to open the door for the spiritual. That's all we're doing. And so, so personally, and I'll just share with you personally, I'm not a big movie watcher. I mean, I'm, I'm, Matter of fact, I watch more movies in preparation for this series, go-to movies, than I probably watch over the whole course of the rest of the year. I mean, that's just me. I'm one of those guys where a great movie will come out, and it'll be out for a while, and I will wait until it becomes the cheap version at the Red Box. <laughs> right? That's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preach it, brother. You know, that's, I mean, that's it. I, it, it just isn't something. Now, now, if it's like an MMA show or, you know, a fighting match or a football game, come on, guys, it's getting close. Wait a minute. Come on, guys, it's getting close. Yeah. You know, I'm, an all, I'm all over that, you know. But anyway, but this is a fun series that we do every year, just using movies to, to really pull out a spiritual truth. So now we're going to talk in just a moment about American Sniper. Uh, American Sniper, uh, how many of you have seen American Sniper? Yeah, good number, because and, and, it was huge. It came out last Christmas, and I didn't, didn't want to not have a conversation about it. Now, obviously, it's rated R. It's very violent. There's a lot of cussing in it, but it's true story, and, it, and it's, I think a lot of people kind of connected with what was going on there. And so I want to pray, because I believe that God is going to speak to us today. I believe that based on just the sheer number of people that are here today and the reality of what many of us have maybe went through, that what we're going to talk about today in regards to the connection of this movie is going to speak powerfully to a lot of us. And so I want to pray that our hearts would be open and our ears would be open and that maybe somehow, and this is my prayer, my prayer is that somehow today the process of recovery and healing and restoration would begin. That's, that's, I'm, not, I'm not asking necessarily that the whole thing just happens. That would be kind of presumptuous. It could happen. But I'm just believing and asking God that you would start something today that would be powerful. So can we pray that? You guys cool with that? Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just come before you today knowing that, God, the, the things that we're going to talk about in this message and in, in, in the scriptures we're going to look at and even the movie that we're going to 
looking at parts of, Lord, it, it, it's pretty hard. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us open ears and open hearts, you know, and just that, God, you would speak to us, that, Lord, we would be ready and willing to hear what you want us to hear, that, God, you would start something in each one of us today that it leads us down a road that is closer to you. And so, Lord, let that happen in this place. We ask in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I want to watch a little, a little clip. This is actually a featurette, so it's kind of a, it's, it shows clips of the movie, and it kind of gives some background. The actual people that are in this are the, 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 uh, the wife of the guy that was an American sniper. She's actually in this clip. So it's just kind of a really interesting thing. Watch this. Babe, it might be nice to get out. Chris. Babe. Chris. Would you be surprised if I told you that the Navy has credited you with over 160 kills? Do you ever think that you might have done some things over there that you wish you hadn't? Oh, that's not me, no. The whole movie's about a man who has dedicated his life to protecting others. The price of doing that. The thing that haunts me are all the guys that I couldn't save. Thank you, sir. Thank Have a good you. day. Hello. You like country music? Only when I'm depressed. How about kids? You want kids? Yeah, someday. It was like watching Chris in many, many ways. I walked away in awe. We're going to get married. We're going to start a family. You got it all planned out, don't you? about a man who's torn between two great responsibilities. Responsibility to his country and responsibility to family. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs. Chris Kyle. Your heart is beating out of your chest. That's just because I'm not the only one who's known to war, that's all. had so many different qualities, but you could only really see how gentle he was if you were confronted with the massive physical presence. I had to get huge in order for you to see the inside of him. The spirit and the character and the heart of the man with the pain and the triumphs probably captured all of that. Don't pick it up. Don't you pick it up. So what are you in Germany or where? No, I'm stateside. You're home? What what are you doing? I guess I just needed a minute. I turned in the script on a Thursday, on Saturday, I got a call. Chris was just murdered. Tao called seven days later and she said, if you're gonna do this, you need to do it right because this will play a part in how my kids are gonna remember their father. You're my husband. You're the father of my children. 
Even when you're here, you're not here. I see you. I feel you. But you're not here. It shows the toll war takes on you right up to the very end. If you think this war isn't changing you, you're wrong. You can only circle the flame so long. Chris's life was beautiful and powerful, inspiring. But at its essence, it's a human story between these two people. Everybody involved in this movie went above and beyond what they had to do. And it's very fitting for a man who always gave more than he had to. I loved every moment of walking in his shoes, every moment of it. Hello? Baby? Baby, I can't hear you. I'm ready. I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come home, baby. Rated Pretty powerful stuff. And, and again, if you haven't seen it, um, it's based on true story. Um, now, <clears throat> when when I watched it this time, I, I, I was fairly overwhelmed with this incredible and intense appreciation uh, for those that have served and those that have decided or made the commitment to risk their lives to be a part of our freedom. I'll just, just be very honest with you. I mean, it was, there was a, I, I didn't want to take it for granted. And so today, I if that's you, I, I, I want to recognize you as one that has served or is serving. Would you just please stand and let us honor you? Would you do that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't, I don't want to take it lightly. Uh, obviously, today's message is not just all about military people. That's a big part of it. But uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to move and, and miss that thought before we get going. So here, here's some background to American Cyper. It's based on a true story. Chris Kyle is the guy that uh, uh, is part of the story. He's a good old Texas boy with some admirable character traits driven to protect those who can't. That's, that's kind of the, the, the start of the movie. actually starts out when he's a young boy, and he's being taught, if you will, by his dad uh, about things. As a matter of fact, he says his dad teaches him. He says there are three kinds of people in the world. There are sheep, sheep dogs, and wolves. And he's at the kitchen table when he's telling this story. And as he gets to that part, he smacks the table, kind of gets a little intense. And he says, we don't have no sheep. We don't have any wolves. We protect our own. You know? And that part of gets, gets a hold of Chris Kyle's heart throughout the movie. And so that's a big driving thought. He grows up, and we kind of walk with him in the movie. And spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you everything, but I think it's an old enough movie I could. Uh, grows up, becomes a Navy SEAL sniper, and mentioned that he had 160-some kills to his name. Um, because of his pinpoint accuracy, he saves countless lives on the battlefield, and it turns him into a living legend. They actually call him the legend. You know, they just, that's how they referred to it. But however, in spite of all that, you know, wow, such amazing success, you would think, and, and being this legend and all this kind of stuff, there's some things inside of him that have gone wrong. After four tours of duty, when he comes back home to his wife and kids, he finds out that it's the war he can't leave behind. 
He, he can't seem to get there. And, and you heard her talking about you're here, but you're not. You know, you're, 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 you're physically in this place, but you're not really in this place. And, and so there's a disconnect that happens. And so, so there's all kinds of things that, you know, as I go and I prepare for the series of, of God at the Movies and I watch some of the movies, sometimes there might be two or three themes that just kind of jump out at you. And you're like, wow, that's the theme, you know. And, uh, but this one, I, I literally could have had 15, 20 different thoughts that we could have won. And we could have done a series of messages on what's involved in the thoughts and ideas of this movie alone. And so I, I want to highlight a handful of them and just kind of hover over one of them at the end and read a verse of Scripture. And hopefully, and again, this is my prayer, that we can start the process of some recovery and healing in a lot of our lives. Okay? That's, that's what I'm going for. So let me just jump in. Uh, the first thought, spiritual topic, is this, is to be a living legend, you have to be ready and willing to make the hard choices. You have to be willing to make the hard choices. There were times in the movie with Chris Kyle where he had to make choices he really didn't want to make. He had to do things he really didn't want to do, but he knew that was the right thing to do. In spite of the difficulty, in spite of the hardship, in, in, in spite of the just intensity of the emotional moment, he had to make the hard choices. And if you were going to link something to the legend part of who he was and the legend of who you could be, could go right back to how you make choices. What kind of choices you make, why you make choices, the type of choices you make, all those kind of things play in this because sometimes we have to make the hard choices. And see, I want to just throw this out. Some of you here today, God wants you to be a legend. God wants you to be this incredible force, if you will, in your family, in your workplace, but you're going to have to at some point make some hard choices. To, to stand for something, to, to really, and, and by the way, for the Christian, for those that follow Christ, the hard choice is righteousness versus not. It's, it's that clear choice that says this is what honors the Lord, even in spite of all the obstacles or the consequences. Hard choices. And by the way, often no choice is a wrong choice. Often. Just letting it go. Here's the second one. Is that going through difficult times together will prepare you to fight for each other tomorrow. Going through difficult times together will prepare you to fight for each other tomorrow. And here's the thought, is that difficult times are, are often the preparation ground for the real battles in life. But here's the problem. The problem is, is we tend to run from difficulty. We tend to run from pain. We tend to run from the things that maybe are the things that we need to go through. And so somehow, some way, we have to understand the spiritual concept that the great things that are prepared in me often come as I walk through the great difficulties of life. And I find myself in a position where I can truly do battle. And so in the movie, just to make the connection, you know, he, Chris, Kyle has to go through this Navy SEAL training, this intense boot camp, we hope you quit kind of environment. I mean, where they're, they're doing everything they can to get them to stand up, walk over to a bell, ring the bell, and say, I quit. I'm out of here. It's too hard. And the reality is, is those that can stay and be a part of that difficult circumstance in life were going to be those when the battle lines got, got drawn and the, and the situations were drawn. Those are the guys that are going to be ready to fight. And it's the same way in our spiritual lives. If we can understand that the difficult moment that maybe I'm going through right now is actually preparing me for greatness tomorrow, I might be more willing to go through it. 
And so that's a great spiritual truth that we can apply from this movie. Here's another one. Is taking aim at the enemy with focused attention is the key to success. Taking aim at the enemy with focused attention is the key to success. There was a little quote in the movie that says, you can't shoot what you can't see. You can't shoot what you can't see. And he was a sniper. I mean, he was, he, he was aiming at stuff. I mean, he, his pinpoint accuracy was uncanny in the movie, how he could do these long-range shots. And so for me, when I look at that, I think about taking aim at the enemy. And here's the truth that we need to understand here. Every one of us in this room has an enemy to our spiritual journey. Every one of us in this room has an enemy that wants to somehow get this distraction or this distraction or that distraction or whatever just to get you off the target so that you can get lost in the journey of life and not make a difference. And so what I need to understand is that there needs to be this aiming, so to speak, or this focusing of attention so that I can truly find and experience what God wants me to experience in life. So, you know, we need to shoot with accuracy and, 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 and try to become a sharp shooter instead of a shotgun blaster, you know? How many guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, guys, I should say gals. How many gals? Maybe I should just, how many gals know what I'm talking about with shotguns? Ooh, we got a tough group of ladies here. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. See, the difference between shotgun and sniper is the difference between multiple BBs and one bullet, one shot. And so many times what we're doing in life is we're kind of walking through life, eyes closed, so to speak, not really looking around, just blasting and hoping we hit something hoping it works out, hoping we take down the, the distraction, so to speak. But on the opposite side of that is a rifle where you look through the scope, you try to put it right on the spot you're targeting, and you fire. And that's what we're looking for. Jesus actually said to Martha, he said, only one thing is needed when she was distracted by all the other things. She said only one thing is needed, and the one thing needed was for her to be in the presence of Jesus. It was the one thing. It was the one thing. And so that simple truth is part of, I think, this movie as a whole. But the big one I want to talk to you about today, it's a very difficult one. It's a very, very difficult topic. And, that, and it's this, is that overcoming traumatic experiences is difficult, but more than possible with God. It's difficult. Traumatic experiences. And, and maybe, maybe I can ask a question to make me get our mind around this. When, when life goes crazy, how do we find calm? When life, life goes upside down, how do we find right side up? How, how, do, how do we get from that traumatic back to some sense of normal? How, how do we do that? How, how do we get from what happened in the movie with all the different things that he's seen and he was part of and just losing? He had this post traumatic stress syndrome disorder, you know, PTSD. How, how do we get past that? You know, because that's what he was struggling with in the movie. It was, it was happening to him. He, he didn't even really know it was happening. And so I began to wonder about this for us. And I, I thought to myself, I wonder how many people here today have some sense of this thing happening to them right now. I wonder how many of us here today have this. So I, you know, I went online. I actually stumbled across a uh, chaplain's training that was five or six sessions long, and, and I watched several of them and just kind of tried to engross myself in this idea of how to find freedom and healing from some of these things. And in there, here's what came out that jumped at me. 
was a study. A study was done of all people to find out how many people percentage-wise will go through a traumatic event in their lives. And the number is 70%. So what that means, here in this room, there's probably 185, 200 people in this room, maybe. I don't know. There's a lot more, a little, a lot more people in here. But I, in, then maybe I'm guessing. I'm, <laughs> you know what that was, what, don't you? There was a train wreck in my brain, and we just lost it, and I tried to get back going. And, and so, so percentage-wise... There's a good chance that 150 people in this room are either going to go through or have went through a traumatic experience. I mean, and so that's a pretty scary number to think about. And so, so obviously there's some of the people that are in here that will go through life and it won't ever be a, a big issue. And then, and then on top of that, here's the other statistic that jumped out at me, was out of that percentage of people that will go through this, 20 to 25% of those will fall into this PTSD disorder and never find their way out. That's a huge number. That's a lot of people. That means there's potentially in this room right now, there are those of you that are under the control, if you will, of a traumatic experience that can't ever seem to go away. You just keep reliving it. It's controlling you. It's, it's dominating you in some way. It's captivating you. It's, it's got a hold of you somehow. And so, so I think that's an interesting thought. So what is PTSD? And, 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 and here's, I just write down some thoughts. It's an anxiety disorder, if you're wondering what it, what it is, that can develop after someone experiences a life-threatening situation. And so it's not just military. You know, again, I think military and uh, law enforcement, firefighters, they typically experience this at a higher level because of the nature of what they're part of, okay? But it's not just that. And so there's, it includes things like rape. Rape is actually connected toward, to this idea of a post-traumatic disorder. Uh, sexual abuse is connected to this violent crime, you know, being robbed at gunpoint or being, uh, you know, beaten in a robbery or, you know, just, I mean, whatever it might be, a, a burglar gets in your home, uh, terrorism, uh, domestic violence, that you're in an abusive uh, a marriage relationship or relationship, and there's a, there's a physical abuse that happens that create, it can potentially create this. And then serious car accidents where, where, where death or, or serious injury had occurred, and then you're part of that in some shape or form. Or or natural disasters. Maybe you went through a, a tornado and it just did intense devastation and you've seen things and you experienced things or it was an earthquake or, or a hurricane or whatever it might be. It's all of these things. And again, it's most common to those that are in military combat and law enforcement people. But the reality is it affects all kinds of walks of people. The reality is, is there's probably a real good chance today that we are representing Several of those. That's the reality. We're not immune to these things. And so people that have this PTSD often can't stop thinking about what happened to them. It just keeps replaying. It's like, it's like the, the, the DVD player's broken. It just keeps recycling it, recycling it, recycling it. It can't get out of it. It's just a, a vicious cycle. 
They, and, and so it keeps playing over, and they, they may try to avoid people and places that remind them of the trauma. And, and really what that means is they're often emotionally disconnected. In other words, they keep backing further and further away from the reality of the relationships that they should be a part of, just like what was in the movie. So Chris, you're here, but you're not here. You're home, but you're not home. And there's this disconnect thing that starts to take place. And, and then there's all kinds of other symptoms, if you will. There's the numbness. Just life is numb. You're depressed, you know, just, just depression. And depression, not taken care of, many times leads to suicidal thoughts. I mean, so it kind of has all these other things. You can't relax. You can't sleep. You have flashbacks and you have... You have nightmares, and, and, and if there's a sound, you're easily startled. I mean, it's, all these things are going on, and, and you're on guard. I mean, you're constantly, you know, in the movie, he did some things in the movie. You're like, whoa, he attacked a dog at the birthday party in, in the movie, you know? I mean, it's because he was on guard. He couldn't, he couldn't stop it. But there was one of them that really got, caught my attention. That's this, is that there are those that are in this situation that have what is called survivor's guilt, survivor's guilt. And you remember he said in the movie clip, he said, I'm, not, I'm just more concerned about the ones I didn't save. As he sat in the plane with the caskets. And it, and it was that shame and that guilt that he had that, that really, if you read between the line, it was almost like, you know, I, I wish I could have got all of them or maybe I could have taken their place. That somehow I could have been the one that went through that. Somehow I could have, and there's this shame, this guilt that comes from still being here. And some of us, maybe that's the category. And so all of these things are connected to this idea of PTSD. But in the midst of the trauma, it's easy to lose faith and feel abandoned by God. Where's God? How, how, how can he let me go through such a, a terrible thing? How, how, how could God allow me to see that or be involved in it? How, how could God do this? And, and we lose this sense of faith that God is this overall protecting being that he's going to always make it work out in the moment somehow, and we feel abandoned by God. But the reality is we're not abandoned, but we feel that way. The reality is God hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't walked away from us. But yet the pain of the traumatic experience makes me feel as though he has. And I, I'll just give you real quickly a real quick theology lesson on what's going on. Every act of terror, every act that is unfair, every traumatic, violent thing that happens in our lives is the direct result of the brokenness of humanity. It's the brokenness of humanity. And you're like, well, why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't God come in and stop the brokenness? And the answer that God provides for the brokenness is the solution to bring restoration to the person, and that is in Christ. So God answers. You're like, well, he answered. Why doesn't he stop it all? Because he is patient for as many people as possible to somehow find this work of Christ in their lives. So in the midst of him waiting, there's a lot of brokenness. In the midst of God waiting for us to try to hopefully figure it out in Jesus, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of ugly. There's a lot of unfair. There's a lot of crazy, stupid, that stinks kind of stuff. And so all of that's happening. That's a real quick theology of why, what, why that's happening and where God's at in the middle of it. So here's what then happens. 
individuals with this disorder can become so preoccupied with the events of the past, they, it, it can be hard to find or imagine a future. In other words, I, I can't see myself getting any better. I, I can't see myself moving forward. This is as far as it'll ever go. This is it. And there's no future. There's no hope. And not only is there no hope or there's no future, then all of a sudden I can't function today because I don't think it's worthwhile functioning anyway. So who cares? And then we slide into this thought and this idea of what's the point? Disconnected, falling back, struggling through these, all these things. And so recovery then for this can sometimes feel impossible. And recovery takes time. And recovery takes intense support, which is interesting to me because the answer that God gives to humanity, Christ on the cross to forgive me of my sin and give me an opportunity, but the body of Christ to be the support. It's an interesting thought to realize that maybe God is answering this in a bigger way than what we think possible, but we just have to see it maybe from God's point of view. So, so how you know recovery, it takes time, intense support, Feels like it's impossible, but it's not. God is more than possible. So how do we find our way through this? How, how do we find our way? If this is us, how do we find our way through some of these things that we're talking about? How do we find our way as the Chris Kyles of the movie? Because I think there's a lot of Chris Kyles maybe in the room. How do we find our way? And I don't want to oversimplify it. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to walk in here today and think that somehow I'm going to snap fingers and click click my heels, and we're going to read a verse, and you're going to go, yeah, and everything's going to be okay. I don't, I, I'm not even remotely saying that. But I'm thinking that maybe God could start a process, and God could do some things in us that would really bring us to a place where healing is an option, The recovery is an option. So here, here's, here's some things from that Chaplin video I watched that I think is really interesting, and they gave several factors that lead to recovery, Okay. And you can write them down if you want. I'll just list them for you. And here's the first one. You've got to find a safe place. Where's your safe place? Where, where, where do you let your hair down, so to speak? Where do, you, where do you finally just let people know this is where I'm at, this is who I am? Where's your safe place? I asked somebody in the first service who I knew was in military and experienced a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about today. I just point blank asked him, where's your safe place? And he looked at me like, I've never really thought about it. But I knew he had it because I knew he'd been through stuff and he'd recovered and he was still whole and he's still in a good place. And so help me process that. And he said, you know what? It's two people, two groups. One is the group of guys that I serve with. I'm real with them. Number two is my wife knows all there is to know about my heart. And he said, that's my safe place. And so we all have to have this safe place. Here's, here's another one is we need to develop healthy coping abilities. Healthy coping abilities. The, the most common coping mechanism in this is go get drunk, go drug yourself, <laughs> try to run away from it, and all those things. That's the most common way. That, that's what people tend to do. It's like, man, if I could just take another swig of this, I'll be okay. If I could just pop another pill, I'll be okay. And so we need to develop healthy coping abilities. Here's another one. Is reduce secondary stressors. In other words, quit Quit putting yourself in a place where you're reinforcing the same thought that was already happening. Don't do that. Here's another one. Learn to keep calm, which is hard, but learn to keep calm. Connect with a life-giving support group. Limit negative influence. And I was thinking about this. And by the way, 
I'm not trying to say that my experience is exactly the same as your experience, but my wife and I, we've been through a traumatic experience. And here's how you usually know if you've been through a traumatic experience is that you wish and hope that it never happens to anybody else. Just that intensity, right? And so our daughter, and I've talked about this throughout the years, 16-year-old died in a car accident, had to walk through that very traumatic event, very cut you to the core of your heart. And I'm not saying that's exactly the same as your situation or what you went through, but it's traumatic. It's that thing that cuts you and, and hurts you. And so, so the idea of finding support. So the point was limit negative influence. So years ago when that happened for us, we went to some grief recovery groups. And we went to some of them that were pretty good. They were like, man, this is good. This is we feel like we're moving forward. God's doing some healing. He's helping us deal with some stuff. There's things happening. And then we'd go to other groups, and we'd sit down in that group, and we'd start to listen as they went around the group. Maybe there's 15 people, and this person would say, yeah, I, I've been in this group for 17 years. And we're like, what? You know? And they go over this one. I've been in here for 12 years, and we've been here for 22 years. You know? and they're, it's almost like they're going around, and I'm like, man, I do not want to be in this group for 22 years. And, and so my thought was, is at some point you have to realize that you can actually surround yourself with negative support that keeps reinforcing the same thought. God wants to take you to a new place. And so that was part of that. Here, here's another one is you find a purpose for being that's bigger than the pain that you just went through. Or maybe even some of the reason or maybe there's a, there's a connection there. And then re reprogram your interpretation of the events. In other words, not everything that you perceive and exactly how you think it happened was accurate. And so you have to have somebody help you reprogram those interpretations. So how do you find meaning and purpose in our traumatic events? How, how, do, we, how do we do that? How, how do, and again, I'm not snapping my fingers, clicking my heels, saying this is easy. How do we do that? And I was drawn this week to a verse of Scripture or verses of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul, he's writing about going through a traumatic time. He's, he's writing to a group of people that are going through a traumatic time. You know what the traumatic time is? Is if you say you're a Christian, there's a very good likelihood that you will die in a coliseum or you will die at a stake. I mean, it's pretty intense. It wasn't like, well, you know, I had a bad day, you know, I had to wait 15 minutes at Taco Bell to get through the line. You know, I mean, that, that's not what he's talking about, okay? It's intense. So here, let me just read through it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. It says, all praise to God. All praise to God. And that's a good place for us to start that maybe in every situation that you have faced and I have faced, that somehow, someway, God can get praise from that. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father. There's that mercy of Him waiting patiently. Even though it's a difficult moment, God is merciful. He's, he's not coming as the judge. He's coming as the compassionate Father that says, Hey, come on, we can make it. There's mercy in there. He goes on, and the source of all comfort. He's the supply. And so really what that means is God is the ultimate source of our comfort. Everything else is just a band-aid to cover over this deep spiritual wound that's in us. Go read on, verse 4. It says, he comforts us. And the word comfort is interesting here because the word comfort means that I have courage to be brave. He gives me courage to be brave. He gives me somehow in the midst of my traumatic experience the courage to handle what I'm facing. It says... 
He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others, so that we can give courage to be brave to others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort, with his comfort through Christ. Verse 6, even when we are weighed down with troubles, even when it's heavy, even when it's so crazy hard you can't even describe it, he says, even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. And here's the point you need to pull from that, is that you need to realize that the situation that I'm going through, the traumatic situation that maybe I've experienced, might be at some point for somebody else's benefit. That somehow, some way, God, in all of his wisdom, even though it's difficult, he's looking at it and go, man, I know you're going through a difficult time. I know this is hard. This is crazy. This is traumatic. This is... This is unfair that I realize that maybe for somebody else's benefit, God's doing this. Then it goes on. He says, then you can. Then you can patiently endure the same thing we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. In other words, there's a reciprocal thing that starts to happen here. Something's taking place because we went through it, you go through it, we went through it, you go through it, you go through it, we went through it. There's a courage to be brave there. And so when we learn to cope, it, we make it possible for others to do the same. Verse 8, we think you ought to know. And it's interesting because this is an interesting verse here in verse 8. It's almost like he hadn't shared this with a whole bunch of people, but he feels like right now I need to share it. Right now I need to open your eyes up to this thought. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We think you need to know that we've, we've, we've dealt with some traumatic things ourselves. I know you're facing some traumatic things, but we're facing some traumatic things, and we have faced some traumatic things. He goes on, he says, In in the province of Asia, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. They were in a bad spot. And it's interesting to me because that little portion of Scripture, that verse 8 and 9 is in there, and I think here's why. There is incredible power in the statement that says, me too. I've went through a difficult time. Me too. I've been cut to the core. Me too. I've been treated unfairly. Me too. I've had to see things that I shouldn't have had to see. Me too. And all of a sudden, there's a connection. All of a sudden, there's this, this bonding together that you've been through it. I've been through it. We've all been through it. Me too. And somehow in the writing of this, Paul realized, I think by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that part of the healing process is just surrounding you with people that said, me too, but God's done this in my life. Me too. And it goes on. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. Notice what happens. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. How many of you have tried really hard to fix yourself and it just never seems to work? Yeah. 
I mean, where we've given so much energy and so much effort in trying to make this happen, but we can't seem to make it happen. And he says, and it's in this writing, he says, you know what? We did that, but man, as a result of trying and trying and trying and facing the things that we were facing, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Because the breakthrough moment happens when I stop trying to do it in my own power and I let God do what God does. You know, for us, and I'll just share real quickly, I didn't share this in the first service, but when our daughter died, I went through about a two-year period of just the dark cloud. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to do ministry. I didn't want to, I didn't want, I didn't like people. I mean, I like you now, but I didn't like anybody then. I mean, I just didn't. And I, and I tried everything. I mean, I was reading the books. I was having the conversation. I was going to the prayer service and I was attending church and I was doing all those things. I was sitting in the service, but I wasn't there. I was doing all that. And all of a sudden, I mean, it just got to the point where I couldn't take, I mean, I was depressed. I mean, we're talking depressed. I mean, Jennifer, many times she'd come and say, you okay? And I just go, yeah, I'm okay. And there was just this numb, just no look in my face. I mean, I could feel it. I was just, I, it didn't make any sense. And it would go on. And I remember going down, and I had an experience where I went to a prayer uh, place in Kansas City, and I just went there to basically say, God, this is my last shot. you got to do something. And I don't know if that verse was coming alive at that day, but I think it was, that somehow I was coming to the end of myself in the process. I tried that, I tried that, I tried that, and none of it worked, but somehow I was just going to go down there. God, would you? Maybe. And I remember staying, spending a day in prayer, I remember writing down things all day long. I just wrote things down. I just wrote things down. I was, it was mad things. God, I don't know what you're doing. God, you have no, you have no clue. You know, I'm, like, I'm just telling God how bad he is, right, and how hurt I am and how unfair this is and how life isn't going the way I planned it and can you still use me and all these different things. And I remember I went into a room to pray with a couple because that's what they did at this place. And as I'm sitting there, God orchestrated a moment. That couple, 10 years earlier, had lost a daughter in a car accident that was 18. So in about two minutes, they said, me too. And I remember starting to cry when they said, me too. I was like, man, God, did you set this up? Who does this? And then they begin, I didn't show them my notes, they just began to walk through the process of frustration and struggle and all the different things. And it's almost like I gave them my notes and they just started reading it to me. And I remember what happens because all of a sudden I realized I can't fix this, but yet God's right here in this moment. He can. I, I can't make this better. There's nothing I can do that can change what I've experienced or what's happening to me. I can't do it. In that moment, I remember they said, okay, and we talked for like 30 minutes, and I bawled like a baby, and they said, can we pray? I said, okay. And they just prayed, simple prayer. But that day, God, God did something in my heart. And you know what it was as I'm reading this scripture? That was the moment that I transitioned from relying on me to really relying on him. And right now, I can go back to that moment, and I know what God spoke to me, and I'll, I say it all the time, and it still cuts me just like my daughter's death cut me, is that though you slay me, I will trust you. 
Though you slay me, I will trust you. It's like one wound is my daughter's and the other wound is God's. The one wound is that traumatic experience, but the one right next to it is God saying, to my heart, though you slay me, I will trust you. And all of a sudden, that verse came alive. See, some of us, that's what we need today. So reading on. So it says then, but as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did, and then verse 10, and he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. And here's what happens. Once you experience the comfort of God, it creates an expectation for the next time and the next time and the next time. And then he goes on. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Prayer is powerful. And then it goes and it says, Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. And so the end result is God gets praise. It starts out with all praise to God. It ends with all praise to God. I go through it because God somehow in the midst of all the things I'm, I'm struggling with brings me to a point where it still makes Him glorified. So, I'm going to have the worship team come because I'm going to wrap up the last one as you guys come up. So here's the last thought. So all of that to connect this thought to that thought. So in the movie, Chris Kyle has, was part of four tours, and in the process, he was separated more and more from home. And so here's the last point. Finding your way back home is a big deal. It's the big deal. Finding your way home is the big deal. His wife notices even though he was back physically, he wasn't there. She said to Chris in one part of the movie, he said, Chris, you have to make it back to us. She knew he had to come home here. She knew that somehow she, he had to come back, not just physically, not just go through the motions, but somehow to truly come home. That was the issue. That, that, that was the problem. He, and he was facing some things in him. He was facing two big problems. One, he didn't want any help. He had to finally say, I need some help. And he, he ended up going to that counselor, which started the process. And he was being changed by the Lord, but he didn't know it. But he needed some help. He needed someone to help him. He needed that support. And so here's the first step towards home is to acknowledge the reality of your trauma. So if you're here today and you've experienced some traumatic thing and never really dealt with it, the first step is saying, I've got some trauma going on. I, I've seen some things. I've been a part of things. I've been cut. I've been wounded. All this is, if, if the numbers are right, 70% of us either have or will, then somehow we've got to deal with this. Acknowledge the reality of your trauma. Admit it to God. Admit it to yourself. Tell at least one other person that you're hurting and you need to be healed. Denial does not make it go away. Check out Psalm 62. It says, trust in him, the Lord. At all times, you people, pour out your heart. Pour out your heart to him. For God is your refuge. For God is your refuge. So here's the deal. Every one of us in here have a built-in program by God to come home. Every one of us. But sin and brokenness has made us all exiles from God. 
And then add to it these traumatic experiences. Add to it these things that we go through in life. It even makes us go further from home. But at the same time, the heartbeat of heaven, the longing they put us in the heartbeat of heaven calls you home. Calls you home. And so today I think God is calling many of us to come back home. To come back home. Maybe you're the backslider. It's time to come home. Maybe you once were with the Father, but you've drifted. It's time to come home. Maybe, maybe you're the rebel. It's time to come home. Maybe you're the prodigal son. It's time to come home. Maybe you're whatever. You're wounded. It's time to come home. Come home. Come home. Come home. Psalm 47, 147, verse 2 says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. In other words, he prepares this place. And the second part of it says he gathers the exiles. And I think some of us here today, God is tapping and he's just simply saying, come home. Come home. I know you're hurt. Come home. I know you've seen things. Come home. I know you were treated unfairly. Come home. I know you were abused. Come home. bowed and eyes closed. I just simply want to ask you in different areas today how maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe today God is speaking to you right now as your hearts are bowed before the Lord that you have some hard choices in front of you and you need to make them. And God's challenging you right now to make the hard choice. If that's you, would you just wave your hand at me? Yeah. Maybe there's people in the room today that you're going through some difficult stuff, but every time the difficult thing comes up, you tend to bail on it, and somehow you find yourself right back in that same situation again. And maybe God is right now trying to call you to go through the difficult things so he can prepare you for something great tomorrow. And you know God's speaking to you about that. Would you just wave your hand? Wave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God's speaking. Maybe today there's those of you in the room that you need to just take aim. You've been, you've been so distracted. You've been so caught up in all these other things and really lost that one thing idea, that sniper idea. And God's calling you to take aim. Is that you? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. And maybe this is the big one. Maybe you're in the middle of still wrestling with a traumatic event that you just can't seem to get past. And you say, God, would you start something in me? Would you change something in me today that you would bring me courage and bravery in the midst of my traumatic situation? I need it desperately. If that's you, would you just wave your hand? Yeah, thanks. Last but not least, today you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I need to come home. I've been away. I've been present, but I haven't been present. I've been here physically, but I haven't been here emotionally or spiritually. Haven't been in my family. Haven't been there. I need to come home. And God's speaking to you right now about coming home, about just coming home and surrendering, not because you got it all figured out, not because you have all the answers, but because today you realize there's a Father in heaven who is merciful, compassionate, and loving, and able, and wants to receive you home. If that's you, raise your hand. Amen. Lord, I pray for every person that raised their hand today. No matter what it is, the hard choices, going through difficulty, taking aim, 
Lord, starting the process of healing the trauma. Lord, or just coming back home. God, I pray that you would seal it by your spirit. It wouldn't just be a hand waved in the air, but God, it would be a spirit that's connecting to you right now. Let it be so. God, as we respond in song, may your presence be powerful in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.